listening to First Church Charlotte. tonight. I wish it would quit raining. I'm tired of rain. I'm ready for sunshine. Uh, I'm ready for dancing and spring. I'm not done with winter just yet, but I'm close. We're getting close, but thank you all for coming out on Wednesday night and being a part of our of our Bible study together. Um, a real quick good news report. Um, you guys know that we host a neighborhood mentoring ministry called Prosper University that's going on right, ne- right now next door, and we are slowly getting to know some of these families who we've been uh, mentoring their kids on Wednesday nights, and they have their own little service. We feed them. Uh, they help them with homework. They talk to them about various practical things, all that good stuff. Um, we had uh, Linda. Linda, where are you at? Linda, in her classroom Sunday morning, she had some first-time kids that were Prosper University kids, never been in her classroom before, and came to her classroom and was learning. They said they love Prosper University. They love the Sunday school. They're like studying their memory verses, and isn't that so cool? And the parents came by to pick them up, and, uh, and, and Linda was like, is this your first time? You know, and they're like, yes, this is our first time. And so this is the good stuff. <laughs> Embracing people, including people, loving people, joining together with people, walking toward the, uh, the, the great kingdom of heaven and being a... It's just awesome. So wanted to share that with you because I needed a positive story because tonight I have a really negative subject. So I will start out by confessing, I don't want to do this Bible study tonight. I'm mad about it. If there was any way to jump over, you know, half a dozen verses in the moving through the gospel of Mark, I would have done it. But we are done with chapter number nine and we're in chapter number 10. And so we have to talk about the subject of divorce. I hate divorce. There is no way to win talking about divorce. Now, I didn't want to teach about it, but my wife found out about it and told me that I couldn't skip it. She was very interesting in learning if there's any loopholes, any way out of this marriage that she has. See, there she is. She's praying and interceding in the spirit. And um, I reminded her that we don't believe in divorce, but we do believe in homicide. So (laughs) she can't leave me, but she can kill me. So that works out just fine. And so... So um, if there wasn't such a big conversation, just full disclosure, you guys know how I do. Um, If there wasn't such a big conversation about it in the gospel of Mark chapter number 10, I would skip it. It is depressing. It is negative. There's nothing good in it. I hate it. Okay. But there's this big problem. The Bible talks about it. So we need to talk about it too. Otherwise, then I'm just one of those preachers always makes you feel good, right? That means not all the subjects get to be yippee ki right? Uh, so I'm going to talk about this subject that Jesus spends, let's see, 12 verses of the first chapter, uh, of the, fir- the first half of Mark chapter number 10. And we will talk about uh, this conversation that Jesus has on the subject of divorce. Before we get started, touch your neighbor, say, I'm depressed already. Go ahead and tell them, say, I'm depressed already. Tell them, say, I'm mad at the preacher already. You know you are. You finally get permission to say it. So um, let's get started on this tragic and sad subject of divorce. Okay, y'all ready to suffer through? Yeah, see, I'm depressed too. Oh, Lord. Anyway, moving along. Okay, so why 
uh, are we going to, uh, you know, kind of gather ourselves and march forward on a negative subject like this? Well, unfortunately, as you all know, uh, divorce is real. Divorce is part of life. It's not just modern times where divorce is real and uh, problematic. Uh, it is through all of, of, of really recorded human history. And actually, believe it or not, it is harder right now to get a divorce than in almost the whole of human history. Yes. Shocking, I know. Disappointing to some like my wife, but um, shocking. It is harder right now. For most of human history, you could divorce simply, particularly among the Jews, simply by writing your, uh, writing your wife a letter and giving it to her, and that was the end of it. And so I've written my wife many letters, but I haven't ever had the courage to give her one yet. Uh, so so um, we, we arrive at this passage in the Scripture where uh, Jesus is dealing with all of these heavy issues. Somebody say heavy issues of, of self-sacrifice. He's talking about Calvary. He's talking about consecration. He's talking about all these heavy issues and uh, telling his followers that this is a this is, this is the kingdom of heaven, and it is a kingdom that's built upon not the self-promotion, but upon self-sacrifice. It's a kingdom whereby we win through self-sacrifice. You want to be first, you have to be last in the kingdom of heaven. And then these lawyers, somebody say Jewish, they're not lawyers like civil law. They are experts in Mosaic law. Somebody say Mosaic law. Okay, I'm just making you repeat a lot because I hate this subject and I'm nervous and it calms me down when I make you repeat. I'm like Vesta. See, somebody say, repeat yourself. See, thank you very much. That calms me right down. And these Jewish laws, they are lawyers of the Mosaic law. Their specialty is not copyright uh, infringement. Their, copy, their, their, their specialty is Mosaic law. And so they come to Jesus and uh, they ask him this question, these Pharisees. And Jesus is teaching the masses. And uh, the Pharisees say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Mark says, testing him, testing Jesus. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And they are testing Jesus. Jesus answers and says, what did Moses command you? They say, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. Jesus answered, and he's not going to talk about, interestingly, he doesn't want to talk about divorce. He wants to talk about marriage, okay? He's going to finish up because they won't let him off the hook, but he wants to talk about marriage. Uh, because of the hardness of your heart, he, Moses, wrote you this precept. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. He is talking, he's answering by way of original intent and original purposes. And what's interesting here, fascinating really, is he's talking just about, just as much about polygamy as he is monogamy. Excuse me. Just as much about polygamy as he is divorce. You see, he is referring to something that is referred to in other places of the scripture in the same area and in the same, the same regard. And he is talking about one man, one woman, and they're talking about divorce. And Jesus gives them that answer and moves along. Someone says he doesn't want to talk about it. 
He doesn't evidently want to talk about it that much. He tries to move it along, okay? But his disciples now are curious. What has Jesus done in front of the masses? He's reinforced the law of Moses. Somebody say, the law of Moses. He has publicly made a statement to the masses about civil law. They're not organizing themselves according to modern civil law. They're organizing themselves by Mosaic law that we have in the first five books of the Bible. So he doesn't want to deal with it anymore. He reinforces Moses. This is important because our understanding of the passage is going to be through the context of his intent. What is he trying to do? He's reinforcing to the masses the law of Moses, but his disciples, they're not going to let him get away with this. They're curious now. And so they wait until they get done with the uh, public teaching and they go back to, uh, they go back to uh, private, shall we say, some type of a private gathering uh, at somebody's house in verse number 10. In the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same manner. And so he said unto them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, what is interesting here is an attempt to read it, not as we read it, but how would a first century Jew or a first century uh first century Christian have read this passage. If they, particularly if they were Jewish or Hebrew, uh, they, we need more clarity to understand the depths that are here. And I am going to try to help you walk out of the here tonight. And my goal is for you to think, first of all, uh, that you have a fairly, a fairly deep and contextual view of this conversation, number one. Number two, I want you to see why the church is a place for hope for people who have been divorced, not a place of judgment. That's one of my goals here in this service tonight. I want you to see why we have pastors who have been divorced and they're still used in ministry. I want you to see why we have leaders who have been divorced and they're still, and I'm not just talking about our church primarily, I'm talking about as a larger church um, body in the earth. Um, They are still in leadership because although divorce is the awkward, the sad, and a state of brokenness within the human condition, it does not equal an unpardonable sin, and it is not the end of your ministerial effectiveness, and God wants you to be a minister. All right, so let's, let's get started. My goal, in order to do that, I want you to see the, 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 the fairly sophisticated context that is going on here. And so to do that, we're going to have to read all the passages. And um, then I want you to see that even, my last goal is this, even if you choose to have a tighter perspective to the text than I do, or a looser perspective, interpretation of the text than I do. This is not part of our fundamental plan whereby the human heart is redeemed into salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is not something over which we should divide or split or fight or get enraged one at another. Okay, are we clear? 
All right, so here we're going to look at these other passages where this is uh, talked about. And I want to, as a way of foundation, I want to establish the five reasons under Mosaic law you could rightfully divorce. There's five reasons under Mosaic law. I'm seeing if my wife's writing this down. See, I got my eye on you. Why you can, you can divorce a spouse. Um, it is, of course, given to us in the scripture. Uh, the first is quite sad, but according to the tradition of the Jews, uh, if you had a spouse who could not have ch- children under Mosaic law, uh, you, could, you could argue in a Mosaic court and by Mosaic, I mean the tradition of the law of Moses, uh, for a cause for divorce. Uh, It was under the argument of the scripture in Genesis 1 and 28, be fruitful and multiply. However, Jesus, I don't have time to get deep, deep into this. However, Jesus refutes this in his statement in the New Testament that not all are intended to have children when he talks about this subject of those who would give that up for the kingdom of God. And so in uh, this context, you see more, I think, a somewhat better uh, view of uh, the Lord's intent in this matter. And although under Mosaic law it was a grounds, um, I think that Jesus answers that in uh, later on in the Gospel of Matthew when he talks about how that command, Genesis 1 and 28, doesn't have to be, it's a generalized command, it's not a specific command. Does that make sense? Uh, it's going to have to because we got to move along. The second ground for divorce under Mosaic law is if you, uh, this is Deuteronomy 24 and 1, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found a cause of indecency in her, he writes her a bill of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of her house and she departs out of his house. Now, if you were reading this, you would note that that is not the end of the sentence. That's where we stopped reading. It continues. And uh, it is talking about some somewhat complicated case law within the Mosaic tradition. But this is the most important scripture in the history of Judaism on the rules of divorce. Very quickly, and remember, that's number two. That's the one that turns into a huge debate later during the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Number three, four, and five are um, actually in Exodus number chapter number 21, verse number 10. If he takes a, another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food. Somebody say, you got to feed me. Number two, her clothing. Somebody say, you got to buy me clothes. <laughs> or her marital rights, which I will not explain. But all three of them are reasons under Mosaic law where you could have a formal divorce. And so the rabbis then technically break all of these down and they make it literal, which I don't have the time to uh, get into in this service tonight. And God help me, I don't want to do this two Wednesday nights. So uh, if you actually were a numbers nerd like Dewan, you would like try to figure up what all of this means under the rights allotted to wives under Hebrew law. And you would see the absolute minimum under a rabbinical interpretation of that scripture is uh, the woman gets at least under rabbinical interpretation one-seventh the man's income. Well, women, I have good news. Nowadays, you get half. (laughs) I'm watching you. Don't get any ideas. 
you got more money than me, so I get half. So, um, uh, you, you, you see the story. Um, and I want to point out one last detail here that is very, very interesting. Most of you have probably read this passage and you haven't studied the teachings of, on divorce in the context of the time. You just read it as though the Bible were a formula book for you. And you said, see there, that's it, end of story. Um, but when you study it in context, it, it really, I think it makes it deeper. I think it gives you a uh, much better interpretation of these things. So under Mosaic law, these five causes, the last three, interestingly, where I taught, they have to give you enough food to live. They have to give you uh, uh, warm clothings for your, uh, your, 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 your warmth and care. And uh, you have the right to have children. Number three, um, they, they, those rights that are given in the book of Exodus, chapter number 21, are actually specific to an individual who was once a slave, a woman. She was a slave of the house of Israel through conquest. And a man decides to take her as his wife. A Jewish man decides to take her as her wife. She was a slave of conquest by the national time and the national geopolitics or the real politic, if you'd like to see it that way. And a Jewish man has decided to take her as his wife. That woman has those three rights. Now, what's interesting and what started some of my uh, study in all of this is um, listening some years ago to two rabbis talk. And remember, rabbis, uh, they interpret scripture from the Hebrew perspective. And of course, they all speak Hebrew. (laughs) And most of them, are scholars of Hebrew, so it's usually wrong to argue with a uh, rabbi about Hebrew. And my, and my, my advice for you to be would just be to listen to what they have to say about Hebrew. Don't argue with them. Uh, it's their language. And so it's like uh, Jonathan Strickland was a missionary to Greece for years. Some of you met him. And um, he talked about doing New Testament new word studies in Greece. He says, and I'm telling them what Greek words mean. And they're like shaking their head like, what? Uh, just stop. <laughs> Go back to Acts, brother. Go back to Acts. And so um, I listened to these rabbis, and they said a, a few things that were uh, interesting to me because they had a very different perspective on this issue. And one of the things they said that shocked me into study, have, have you ever been shocked into study? If you haven't, you need to try. It's very, very fruitful for your knowledge to be shocked into study. And um, they, they, they were talking about a strict interpretation of Jesus' words, okay? Um, and their point was, and they both conservative rabbis, their point was, is if you, if you view Jesus' words as a formula rather than an aspirational saying, you end up with women in the New Testament having less rights than slaves in the Old Old Testament. I want to say that again because it shocked me into some serious study. Okay, if you adhere to the literal, we all know Jesus had many aspirational sayings that in teach that teach a principle, they teach a lesson. But uh, like for example, if your hand offend thee, cut it off. Did Jesus say it? Absolutely. Now, did any of his disciples have one hand? No, none of them had one hand, although Jesus said it. And the rabbis that shocked me into study uh, were, were basically saying, if you just try to treat the words of Jesus as a formula and not an, a kind of an aspirational 
intentional thing that gives us something to direct ourselves and order ourselves around, you end up with women in the New Testament have less rights than slaves in the Old Testament. Well, that didn't sit, just doesn't, it just kind of shocks you. And um, so uh, basically, if you want to just simply be literal with it and not try to see it as a guide uh, to one of the teaching statements of Jesus, and you need to understand that, or every time you come to a hard saying of Jesus, you'll want to quit the church. You see what I'm saying? You need to understand the teaching statements of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And so, um, you, you, we obviously aren't going to settle for a world where a man can abuse a woman and she has no rights because of a strict interpretation. We're not going to do that. that, that that's, that's absurd. Everybody has a, a right to safety of person. And I don't think that makes us a dirty liberal. I think that's just reasonable. Um, just because my wife beats me up regularly doesn't mean that you don't have a right to stand up for yourself. As a pastor, I have counseled um, women who were in very abusive situations, and I told them, I told them I understood and supported their decision to have a right to safety. Now, usually, whenever a man is so much of a narcissistic pig that he will put his hands on a woman, sorry if that offends any of you men, if you want to see me after church, we go outside and talk about it. Um, If any man is so much of a a narcissistic pig to beat up a woman who weighs uh, 50, 70 pounds less than him, um, I, you ought to come, I've got some guys to introduce you to, and they'll give you every chance in the world to, you know, have your way, and we'll see how it ends up. But the point being, that person usually has had moral failings because they expect law to be applied to others and not to themselves, okay? And so most of those cases, they are made simple not by a sophisticated interpretation of Jesus' teaching statements on, uh, 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 on marriage and divorce. They're made simple because the person who would beat up that lady is the kind of person who has already been unfaithful at multiple levels. Does that make sense? Okay, so um, here we have, here we, we have this, this, this challenge. What are we seeing in the scripture when the, 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 the question is asked um, about this, this divorce and, um, and the like? So if you look at all the passages uh, in, the, in, the, in the word of the Lord and you read them, you will find this issue of uh, any cause. Can you divorce for any cause? Well, that should be a cue because although we don't talk about it, the single most contentious religious subject of the time of Jesus was not whether or not you pay taxes to Rome. It, it, it was not even, excuse me, it was not even whether or not you have uh, uh, issues of eternal life. Israel, the Jewish, the, the, the Jews, Jewish religious faith was already uh, content to have differences of opinion on whether or not you had an immortal soul. Uh, Sadducees did not believe you did. Uh, they believe you should serve the Lord out of tribal duty. Uh, Pharisees believed you did have an eternal soul, and thus there was a heaven and a hell and the like. And so that wasn't the biggest contention of the time of, of Jesus. Um, 
it wasn't even the, the difference between the two big schools, which was the school of Hillel. You guys have heard me teach about this before. And the school of Shammai. Um, you, you, you remember that? Um, the Shammai was the conservatives, and they said, you shouldn't even have Gentile friends. You should have nothing to do with Gentiles whatsoever. And you guys will remember the event where they actually killed a bunch of the students of the school of Hillel because they believed it was okay to have friendships outside of uh, the Jewish faith. Um, this is the tension that's going on in the day. And the single biggest debate of the time is this issue of any cause divorce. Now, why I take your drink of water, say that thoughtfully. Yeah. God, Larry, thank God for you, my brother. You let him again. You let him once again. Um, so, uh, any cause divorce. Now, let me explain. Uh, there is, in these two competing schools, there is an uh, interpretation of the second mosaic reason for divorce. Remember I said, remember law number two? And that is this. In when we read it, let me go back here to Exodus. <coughs> I'm, I'm, I know this is boring. I apologize. Uh, Exodus 21, uh, if he takes another man, no, that's Exodus 21. Let me go back a little farther. That was not number two. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that is, it's Deuteronomy 24 and 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found a cause, somebody say a cause, of indecency, okay? In the English, that's clear because the translators added the of, See, y'all know cool stuff now. That's clear in the English because they added the of. There's no of in the Hebrew. And so the school of, uh, let's see, the, uh, I believe it was the uh, Shammai school, um, they said there's two causes there. There is uh, the first one. Uh, he is found, well, you've got a New King James Version, which makes it a little bit harder to understand. They take the cause of divorcion and re put it in modern vernacular, which is most of the time great. But in this case, it helps you understand why the Jews fought. And the number one religious contention of the time, okay? Cause of uh, uh, indiscretion or immorality or something like that. That's clear in the English, not as quite as clear in the Hebrew, there's no of. And so the school of uh, Hillel said, there's two things there. There's cause and then there's immorality. And this doesn't have to be the same thing. So the result of not having the of is if you cheat on me on a moral sense, I can divorce you, but that's number two. Number one is any cause. So if you serve me cold food, you're up out of here. No, you guys, no, I'm not making this up. I'm giving you history of the, 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 the kind of the religious contentiousness of the Jewish people. The school of Hillel says there's two causes there, not one. Remember, there's no of in the Hebrew. Um, they're saying there's two there. Now, it makes us laugh because it's obvious, uh, a continuous line of reasoning. It's not a separate line. It's not phrased as separate. But in the Hebrew, it's much easier to argue and say there's two causes there. One of them is immorality, and one of them is anything that makes me mad. And so, in starting, starting a few hundred, a uh, few, few centuries before Jesus, actually a few generations before Jesus, they invented any cause divorce. Any 
cause divorce. This isn't my idea. I didn't make this up. I didn't dream this up. This is well established in the history of Judaism. They invented any cause divorce. In fact, whatever reason a man wanted to divorce a woman, they, he could divorce her, divorce her for any cause. You did not compliment me the other night when I had on a fine outfit and it really disappointed me and I'm emotionally damaged. Here's your letter. So if you want to tease your wife, next time she pops you, you can say, here's your letter. (laughs) She'll say, here, have it back. (laughs) So this is the number one. This is such a big deal. All the Jewish historians of the time mention it. Even Jewish historians who aren't even focusing so much on religious history, but martial and national history like Josephus, what do you think Josephus talks about? Any cause divorce. The right for a man, because the school of Shammai says absolutely not, except for cases of immorality, you cannot divorce. Okay? That's what Moses' intent was. The school of Hillel says, wait a minute. There's two reasons there. One is for immorality, and one is for whatever you want it to be. So they bring this to Jesus, and the issue becomes, is Jesus, and this is not my debate, this is the scholarly debate, is Jesus talking about any cause, divorce, lowercase, in other words, for any reason under the sun, or is he talking about any cause, divorce, talking about the number one, the number one religious disagreement of the time? Here's the result. If he is talking about any cause under the sun, uh, uh, then it, uh, he comes down firmly on the side of, of there must be a moral reason for the divorce. If he's talking about any cause, the political moment, the political uh, disagreement within the, the, the social and cultural lives of the people, he's still coming down on the side of moral of moral cause. The difference, however, is this, and this is not my debate. I just want you to understand why, as a church, we do not close the door on people who have gone through the heartbreaking experience of a terrible divorce. We don't end the ministry of people who have gone through a terrible uh, uh, divorce. Uh, We want to be a place of hope. It's not as simple as simple people pretend. It's not as simple as simple people pretend. There's some depth to this. There is some historical moment to this. And so, if we see it in that context, what Jesus is doing is reinforcing the law of Moses, not setting a higher standard where in the New Testament, a woman has less rights than a slave in the Old Testament. You see what I'm saying? So I want you to see, I want you to see this. There is a 
ton more uh, documentation on this. Uh, there is a ton more historical information on this. Uh, I, for your sake of your sanity, I will not get into it all in any type of an absolute or divisive way. And I certainly don't want anyone here leaving with the, the, this, the sense that I, it's, it's, we're saying it's, you know, sure, just, you know, give your wife a letter, you know, no, that's not what we we are saying. But I am wanting you to see and have some appreciation for the complexity that can be involved in relationships, the tensions, the failures, the, the errors. It is actually even more complicated than simply the manner in which I have presented it because of the issue of under mosaic tradition, if your spouse cheated on you, you were obligated to divorce them. Under New Testament direction of the the words of Jesus and also the teaching of Paul to the church at Corinth, which there's some unique history in Corinth because they had the same marital law where you simply could divorce. And so Paul deals with that in his letters to Corinth. Um, But the the interesting thing is um, Jesus and Paul comes down on the side of you are not obligated to divorce someone who has cheated on you. In fact, if there's a way for you to be reconciled both Paul and the words of Jesus encourage you to seek that reconciliation. However, it is at your right and at your decision. It is not an obligation. And so you would think of this rather uh, complicated and depressing subject, and you would think of these, these things, and you would understand the unique time of the any cause divorce, uh, which was such a big deal that all the historians of the time write about it. You would see how Jesus gives us t- a teaching, uh, how shall we say, kind of like his, the, these teaching words that, that basically if we interpret them in the same manner that we look at all the sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ, you would see this great effort that any of us should make to save marriages and to build strong marriages and to even sacrifice ourselves one to another. Is that fair? I think that's the healthiest way to see. Now, you can, if you choose, take this the other direction and make it more harsh and make it more divisive and make it where, in fact, there are some religious groups who take the one flesh argument to the point where you basically have no rights. Uh, you, you, you honestly, you, you're one flesh, and no matter what happens, if you don't have proof, you're just single the rest of your life, or, or worse, you are under the abusive control of somebody who has a marriage control over you. Now, those people who do that, they take it to that far, um, they mean well, and they're zealous. You see what I'm saying? They're not our enemies, and we don't need to try to make enemies of people who are more zealous and even harsher than us. That doesn't make them our enemy. But I think it helps us to see the complexity that is in this moment. And the last thing I want you to see that makes it even more complex is that God himself is a divorcee. If I had a pen, I'd drop it. God himself is a 
saddest, one of the saddest passages of scripture is Ezekiel chapter number 16, where the prophet speaking for God serves as a prosecuting attorney against the house of Israel on the sake and for the sake of God. And he says that Israel, verse 16, has broken all her vows in her marriage to God. He says she has committed adultery with the God's idolatry in high places. She has taken, now notice all this is connection to Mosaic law. Ezekiel is serving as a prosecuting attorney and he is doing a formal writ of Mosaic divorce in Ezekiel chapter number 16. Sometime we'll do that as a Bible study or a message. Uh, But the second one, the first one was uh, immorality, transgression of immorality. The second one is that she has taken the cloth that God has given her He's given it to her for her care. And she has clothed her idols with her cloth. The second thing, Ezekiel says, the third thing rather, is she has taken the food. Remember the obligations of the husband? She has taken the food that God has given her. And she has served it as offerings to the idols. And thus, he speaks as the prosecuting attorney and says she has broken the three vows that are given to us in that one passage of, fe- of, of, of feeding, of clothing, and, and of love. And she has stubbornly been unrepentant. And so, uh, <laughs> Jeremiah says it like this, chapter number three, verse number eight. For all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, I sent her away with a divorce certificate. (laughs) So God himself is a divorcee. He divorced his bride. She repeatedly and stubbornly broke her marriage vows. The prophets record God's long-suffering kindness. He besought her to repent. They record how she carried on sinning and that turns into the great frustration in the heart of God all through the Old Testament prophets where God sounds like a human in the raging midst of divorce (laughs) where he's just plumb mad. I thought you loved me (laughs) and this is what you've done. And so uh, if God himself is a divorcee, he came to his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become, to be the sons of God. And so the betrothal that was once exclusive to the Jews has been offered through grace and mercy, thank God, to the New Testament church. And you have become the bride of Christ. I in no way want to give anyone the impression that divorce is just a small thing, that it's okay, that you should rush off and next time you get mad, throw the D word around. Don't do it. Let the teaching, the harsh teaching language of the Lord Jesus Christ be an aspect 
aspirational guide in your life. You should fight and fight. I mean, in a good way, not in a bad way. (laughs) You should fight and fight to save relationships. You should be self-sacrificial. You should be quick to apologize. You should be quick to ask for forgiveness. Yes, yes, yes. You have become one flesh through God. Everything you can do, you should do it. Are we clear on that? Is there anybody who thinks I've gone soft on divorce? I haven't. But I also want to say the church is not a place of shame for people who have failed. And I had one divorcee tell me specifically her words. I feel like I've been branded with a scarlet D and I'll never be seen the same way. So I want to say to everybody who feels like (laughs) you've been marked as a failure. I want to tell you this. Through God, you're not a failure. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. As ugly as it is, as painful as it is, the church is not a place where we go and are punished. It's not a place where we go and we are cloistered off and treated as we though we failed. We're not marked with the scarlet letter. The church is a place where his mercies are new every morning. That's why I have divorcees in my ministry team, in my leadership team. I have divorce, and it's not just me. Before I ever became the lead pastor of this church, our church had divorcees in leadership positions. Are we happy? Are we promoting it, those things? No, but the church ultimately is built on a foundation of hope and regeneration. Let's all stand. I apologize for being so depressing tonight. Oh my goodness. If you want to quit church, just send me a letter and say, I invoked the Mosaic law of quitting church. And then I'll cry and then chase you down and stalk you for a year and all that good stuff. And I love you guys. You're awesome. Thank you for enduring a rather depressing subject tonight. If this is your first time tonight, please, oh my God, don't hold this against me. We love you. We're glad you're here. Come back some other time. I'll be more positive. God bless you. Have a great week. Show the love of God once more. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. and Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.